Good morning, everybody. I know it's been said before, but I'm going to say it again. Christ is risen. Oh. Yeah, let me get this over here where I can use it. All right. Yes, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. And because uh, it's easy, you know. And I know that when we celebrate Easter, and we celebrate Easter in a lot of ways, um, I think in the Orthodox Church it's next week. Not always celebrated on the same day, but it's around the same time, and, and it means the same thing, that Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. And I know that when I was growing up, I grew up in a pretty, uh, I will say traditional, at least traditional for this part of the country, um, except I grew up a Methodist rather than a Baptist, but I don't regret that. Nothing against Baptists. I like Baptists. I married a Baptist, but uh, and <laughs> but um, when you you know when you grow up and you're in a pretty traditional church, um, and, and it was not just tradition. And there was there it was a it was a spiritual church. It's like, actually that's where I heard about the Holy Spirit and the works of the Holy Spirit. And that's because the church would go um, to um, a, a camp meeting in Florida. Now, this was not really what you would call Pentecostal-type camp meeting, but there were clearly, uh, there, you know, teachings on the Holy Spirit. You could feel the presence of the Spirit. That's the first place I recall feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't, it wasn't dry. I don't mean that at all. But it was traditional so that we had Easter's and we did the Easter stuff. Now, I'd be 70 years old in September, so I know we have different age levels in here. But my experience growing up was that every Easter... We would get all decked out. Usually we got Easter clothes. And there were six kids, so that was quite an investment. Uh, <clears throat> and often we had Easter pictures taken. Uh, not by professionals, but by mom. With the, I remember the ca camera, too. It was a little uh, brown Bakelite Kodak. Um, I can't remember. Well, anyway. But we would have those pictures made, and those pictures are still around. And we are, there we are in our Sunday best, our Easter Sunday best. And, you know, we would have an Easter egg hunt after church. Um, we would do a lot of fun stuff. And that has continued. I mean, we don't do it now. We don't have any little children around, so we don't do the Easter egg hunts. We haven't dyed Easter eggs in I don't know how long. But, I mean, how, how many here had some similar experience growing up? Okay, so that's ju just about everybody, right? Okay. All right, well, good. Because now this is not to disparage any of that because that stuff is 
is really worthwhile. That's, that's, those are good memories. Um, but when we look at what Easter is, not just what it was, but what it is, then this is like the, the climactic moment in history. This was a point where on what we commemorate as Good Friday, the followers of Christ on earth, their hopes were dashed. This was about as low as it could get. And yet, by the following Sunday morning, or whatever, you know, the morning, anyway, Easter <laughs> that we celebrate, Jesus had risen. So we go from depth of despair to really experiencing something unbelievable. And it wasn't like he just showed up and then there was rumors going around. No, there were hundreds of people who saw him over the next few weeks before his ascension. So this was, this was huge. That is the turning point in history. And we ask, you know, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with celebrating. Uh, I think it's good. But there's a question that goes along with that. We know that he died to save us from the consequences of sin. He died for our salvation. And, but, and, and I'm, <laughs> if we look at the people in the Bible, if we look at the, uh, I mean, we could look at the New Testament and the Old Testament, but if we look, let's just concentrate on the New Testament right now. If we look at the New Testament, then we're going to see that all of these people that we know of by name anyway, and that we know their fate, many of them died horrible deaths. Many of them, I mean, I don't know. I mean, they were called to bear a cross. And they were called to sacrifice. And they were called to do this because the gospel needed to be spread. And, you know, you, we have the Great Commission and when, he gave, when Jesus gave the disciples the Great Commission, he didn't say, well, you better get out there and get going because time's a-wasting, you know. He, <clears throat> he says, wait, tarry, right? Wait. He didn't really tell them, at least, at least it's not recorded in Scripture, what he told them to do until they received power from on high. He just said, wait. It's kind of like, wait, you'll know it, trust me, you know. And sure enough, we have the story of Pentecost and all those things. Now, the thing is, and interestingly, if you want to kind of get a, a sequence of what's going on, you know, that uh, if you look at the Gospel of Luke, 
and then you start immediately picking up in Acts, then you have sort of an unbroken history there. And so it, what it appears that the disciples spent that time going to church and worshiping and praying. You know, they weren't just sitting around, you know, Oh, whoever that ambulance is going for, Lord, bless them. Um, they, weren't just, they weren't just hanging out. They weren't just, I mean, they were actually worshiping God. And they were really staying, I don't know, in the zone. I don't know what, I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing here, but, um, but ultimately when when the time came, when Pentecost had arrived, had arrived, they knew what to do. And this was something that was going to be very costly to these disciples. And they did it, and I don't recall any of them complaining about it. I mean, you know, I mean, when we see... I mean, when, when they're martyred, they go to their deaths joyfully. It's because something has happened. And they understand that it's a much, much bigger picture than we normally consider. Now, back about 20 years ago, I'm guessing here because I don't remember the year that I, I got this and it's, it's what it is it's a prophecy um, I don't get a lot of those but every now and then I'll get one this one I know this though it wasn't it was on a Monday because I had written down on the note you know Monday um, and if we could put that up there yeah this is this is what God said. Grace is as hard and unyielding as truth. You cannot make it what you want it to be. You cannot bend it or mold it. And just, you know, leave it up there for a minute because um, I... When we think about grace, and now, and let me just say this, grace is great. Grace is so special. Uh, but if we create an image of something, and call it grace, that doesn't mean that that's what's going to happen. Now, I know, I mean, let me talk for a minute about grace, because there is a, an enormous misconception. In my opinion, there's an enormous misconception in the church about grace. First of all, 
and you know, most of y'all have heard this here before, but people get grace and mercy confused. Normally, when Christians talk about grace, what they mean is mercy. I mean, I could see how you could say, well, let's show them a little grace. But really what they mean is let's show them a little mercy. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I teach at a Christian school. And, you know, somebody is going to have, you know, we have rules. And somebody said, well, let's show them some grace. And in, in a way, that's true. But really what we're showing is mercy. Pardon me. What, what grace is, though, is grace is a gift from God that we don't earn. It's unmerited by us. It's a gift, but it is an empowerment. Usually, that's what it means. It means... Uh, let's see, how was it that James Ryle used to say that? It was, uh, yeah, he said the power to, to, uh, uh, to do what God created you to be, who God created you to be, and to do what God created you to do. Yeah, <clears throat> and, um, so... The idea here is that grace operates in ways that are, I think for most of us, we don't even recognize it when it's going on. Uh, there's one thing, um, Flannery O'Connor is one of my favorite writers, and um, she was a very devout Catholic. <clears throat> and here's what she said about her own stories. Well, here's two, two things she said. All human nature vigorously resists grace because grace changes us and the change is painful. Okay? It says... All human nature, because what is grace's job? It's to reform our natures. So naturally, our natures don't care to go along with that, usually. She says, all my stories are about the action of grace on a character I don't know how many of y'all have read any uh, any of her stories, but they're 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 dark and funny, and um, they're not all funny, and they're not all equally dark and so forth. But they're often, I would say, generally speaking, they're dark and funny, <clears throat> and um, and you wouldn't think of them as being Christian stories, but then you know. Look at the parables. I, you know, Jesus' parables. I think, you know, a Christian publisher would have turned those things down. 
but I don't know. All my stories are about <clears throat> the action of grace on a character who is not very willing to support it, but most people think of these stories as hard, hopeless, and brutal. And that kind of goes along with that word, you know, that was that grace, we a lot of times grace appears to be extremely hard. <coughs> Excuse me, I have a cough drop and I'm gonna take it because and unwrap it because it's a Ricola and it's got two wrappers. Instead of like being the, what was it, Tootsie Roll Pop that's got a, a center inside it and all? Yeah, it's got, it's got a cough drop in the center of two wrappers. Don't really understand the point of that. But in any case, my point with uh, that stuff from the word I received from the Lord to the thing, the Flannery O'Connor quote is, uh, grace can be, it's, grace may not be what we think it's going to be. Grace can be hard. Truth is, it's in the long run, it is a blessing. Okay? And it's usually a blessing we would not choose. We end up being blessed in a way that we would not have otherwise been blessed. But if we said, you know, if God said, well, here's what you're going to have to do to get there, I think a lot of us would say no. In any case, um, so what we're dealing with here is a thing called reality. And all I mean by reality is truth, God's truth. All right? So, in other words, it's the way things are, period. We may understand some of it. We may not understand some of it. But... There's God's truth, and then there's my truth. And if I look back on my history of following God, straying from the path, <laughs> getting back on the path, you know, whatever it is, we can all think of our own histories here. Um, God's truth has remained constant. My truth, on the other hand, is sort of like, you know, my partial uh, apprehension and my partial misapprehension, except for the times when I was just totally trying to ignore it because it wasn't what I wanted to hear. So, uh, so my truth is, is based on, uh, you know, who I am, what I want, uh, what I what I've experienced. And now my truth is going to include some of God's truth because that's who I am. I'm a follower of Christ. But I've got, it's going to be a, a blend. It's going to be a mix. And so, I mean, 
I, I, more than ever, I believe the reasons the disciples decided to go to the temple while they were awaiting or go and pray and, and, and praise while they were waiting for God to move is uh, they didn't want to get caught up in their own fantasy because that's what it is. It's fantasy. <coughs> Truth is a structure you can depend on. Now, when I say that, it's like if you're a soldier and you're under bombardment, there's such, you know, there's a bomb-proof bunker, let's say, that you have access to. That's, that's good to know. But if you don't know the difference, then you may just go out there and bury your head in the sand. And, you know, it seems like, well, I don't hear bombs now, so... But there's a big difference, and the, the difference is, is one of these things is real and substantial, and the other one is a figment of our imagination. It's a fantasy. Um, so that's where this connects with grace. Because grace is the power of this. This is God's power. And he shows us favor. And, um, and I say, in our case, undeserved. Some people would say, you know, we'll define grace as the unmerited favor of God. Well, that's true in almost all cases. There's one case where it's not true. And that's the case of Jesus. Um, so, let's see. Let's take a look at John chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. <clears throat> the Word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. Who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now that doesn't mean full of the unmerited favor of God. I mean the whole point of Jesus coming is that finally there would be somebody who could merit this, right? On our behalf. So, <coughs> I apologize for the coughing. I don't know what's the problem. But anyway, John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was the one whom I, of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. So grace is something which is a gift from God. It is a gift that empowers us. Now it empowered Jesus. But this gift empowers us. And they connect to work a blessing. 
Now, um, when we talk about truth, we're talking about, well, when we deny truth, Generally speaking, I think we do that in defense of our ego. I mean, if we're thinking about it, we do it in defense of our ego or our assumed godship or whatever it is. We may not even be aware of that we're doing it. But, uh, but it's a rebellion when we choose our version. Um, and you know, if you keep doing that, there is a thing, you know, that, uh, definition of insanity, you know, continuing to do the same thing, hoping for different results. Um, so we know en enough of the truth to know that it, that the truth can be hard, but grace is grace supposed to be hard. Um, in the book of Jonah, which I think I like the way Jamie took us through the book of Jonah. You had the cool illustrations and stuff, yeah. What, there be dragons or something? There be, yeah, right, you know. Um, in chapter 2, starting with verse 5, uh, the engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. <clears throat> Well, there's a whole lot we could talk about there, but I'm not going to go into it, all right? Now, that, by the way, is the second chapter of Jonah. There's more to come, you know, so his, anyway. But um, <clears throat> my, my point in looking at that is, when did Jonah begin to, begin to understand the grace of God? in that situation. I mean, was it when he was a prophet in the land, or was it, you know? I mean, it looks to me like he was at the bottom of the sea, he was about to drown, and he remembered God, and he called out to him, and God provided grace, and Jonah responded, and he was saved. Now, that's kind of my experience, or at least, you know, it's not always that way, but it's, 
it's, it's like that more than I like. You know, I mean, I, that's not how I would have designed it, but then again, I didn't get the God job, you know? I'm just the, this. So, uh, very often, we have, um, you know, things where we really, it's not crucial to us to know the grace of God. It is something we could think about. It's something we could ponder, something we could debate, something we could look Scripture up on, you know, things like that. That would be real interesting. But, you know, when you're at the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a fish, and you understand that if something doesn't happen and it would be God that would have to do it, then you're going to die. Then that's not a time when, this is not a casual, you know, thought process here. This is serious, serious contemplation. And sure enough, he finds grace. Um, I will have to say that I'm more inclined to find grace when I'm in a hard place than when I'm in an easier place. Now, I I will say this. I'm trying. I I really am trying. I found that if I'm grateful more often, that if I am appreciative of God more often, that if I spend more time just taking in what's around me and and appreciating it that sometimes I get the message of grace in a much nicer way. That doesn't mean those things won't happen, the other things, the hard things. But it does mean, I mean, you know, we can learn, right? So, um... We, you know, Jonah discovers grace at a really, really hard time. Now, his, his struggle is not over. Um, but he's discovered grace. So, um, Isaiah chapter 26. And uh, I'm going to start with the second half of the ninth verse you know and then the tenth verse it's going to say when your judgments come upon the earth the people of the world learned righteousness though grace is shown to the wicked they do not learn righteousness even in a land of uprightness they go on doing evil and regard not the majesty of the Lord so just because there's the opportunity to learn righteousness and grace is extended, that doesn't mean that we have to accept it. We can deny it. Grace can be avoided. And, uh, you know, I mean... I would like to say that the wicked have made a point to do so. But then that would have meant, that would, and that is true, 
But that would mean that I have been among the wicked from time to time. So, but we can't avoid grace. And now for our final scripture. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. He mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. Who but the humble can receive grace? I generally find that he has to humble me in order to bless me with grace. And again, like I said, if I start out humble, it's a whole lot easier. But, so we don't, we, again, we don't bend or mold grace to fit ourselves. We allow grace to bend us. Because really, I mean, what is all of this stuff? We allow grace to bend us to suit the truth. Because really, besides saving us from hell, why did Jesus have to go through all of that? I remember the time Steve Yarborough was over next door. You know, he worked with... Um, recover people in recovery and stuff and somebody was asking questions and said you know what about um you know all these people who've you know who who've you know you're in recovery and they find jesus you know he says um he says well that that's that then comes the hard part he said honestly if it was up to me I, i'd take them out back and shoot them but that's against the law but that's not the point, right? Does anybody know why we're saved? Well, I'm sure you do. But do you ever put it in words? Remember, Rome, you know, Romans eight twenty eight: all things work together for good for those who love God, those who are the called according to his purpose. For those, no, this is 829, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, meaning Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. I mean, we are redeemed so that we can become family members. And it takes grace to conform us to the truth of that family image. And that's, what, that's, what we're, that's what's going on right now. That's why we don't just get saved and keel over dead. We are, we are, we, that is our climax. That is the point in the story where that's the turning point in my life, in your life. 
And from that turning point, this is where a new character is being developed. And, 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 and sometimes it is just great, and sometimes it sucks. But it's, you know, I mean, I say that from my vantage point, right? But I don't want to give anybody the wrong idea. God loves us, and I, I don't think God wants to do anything that he doesn't have to do to make us everything that we could be. That we could be conformed to the image of his son. That he can, you know, so that Jesus can be the firstborn among many brothers. I think we can make it harder on ourselves if we just won't listen. Um, but I think there are some things that it doesn't matter how well we listen, it's just going to be hard. You know, Jesus himself said, is there any way that we can get around this crucifixion thing? That, by the way, is a paraphrase, but I think it's a pretty accurate paraphrase. But he, he accepted it. Now, so I'm not saying that if you just really, you know, get humble and pay attention that you, you don't have any hard things, because I don't believe that. But I do believe that if you are, if you are, if you are listening, if you make it your heart's desire to, to know what it is that God is calling you, is moving you. Okay, back to Romans 8, 28. For whom does it, is that promise made? Right? For we know that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So, that's when we know that all things work together for good. Some things are going to be hard, some things are going to be easier, but it's all going to be good eventually. Now, I wasn't doing this just to do a bummer kind of Easter lesson. <laughs> Well, that's cool. <laughs> no, that's all right. Oh. Okay, anyway. Uh, although I don't really necessarily think it's a bummer. I'm just, you know, that's the problem a lot of times with things that are, you know. I mean, I'm glad that we started with real celebration. I'm glad we did the, you know, he is risen. He is risen indeed because that is worth being happy about. I just wanted us to, and all I can say is, is that when I was looking for something to say today, the only thing I found was that scripture, that, or not scripture, the, the pro prophetic word that we started with about grace being hard. It's not so much about it being hard, it's unyielding. It is hard and unyielding, I think was how the, the word went. And uh, so it was just like, 
Don't feel that you've been betrayed because what God is calling you to do, preparing you to do what he has done with his, the fruits of his sacrifice can be difficult at times for us. Just remember that he loves us, that his grace will empower us, and that we need to be humble and see it through. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we, we really do want to celebrate you today. We want to celebrate what you've done. We want to celebrate all of the goodness that you've shown us. I just am asking that when you when you do your work in us, that you'll remind us that you are a loving God and that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.